The following is a For Vengeance Media production. we love is undergoing a shift. What a beauty! Borders are breaking down. Some might say disappearing. Huge goal. And the freedom to choose is gaining momentum. Through it all, players are better than ever at all levels. From youth hockey to the best junior leagues and the highest level, the game is reaching new heights. Presented by Four Vengeance Media. This is Game Changers, the home of hockey, on Silent Ice TV. To episode eight here on Silent Ice TV of Game Changers, home of hockey, and of course on your favorite uh, podcast networks wherever you get that. If you'd like to check it out on television, SilentIceTV.com. While the snow has appeared in Edmonton, Connor McDavid is sidelined and. Hockey takes a back seat in Winnipeg. My name is Dean Millard. It is my pleasure to be your host. I also get to be the voice of the JPHL. And two more showcases on the way for the JPHL. One in Delta, BC this weekend in Edmonton. Just as we wrapped up a pair of Challenge Cups at the Silent Ice Center this past weekend. Great action and broadcast once again on Silent Ice TV. And as the calendar gets set to flip to November... Junior teams are getting their rosters all settled and into a nice little rhythm. We will have a junior segment, as always, on the program today. Ryan DeCook of the Spruce Grove Saints will join me on the program to talk about his rookie season and look back at his year in the JPHL last year. Jamie Thomas will join us on our Pawn to the Pro segment as hockey is uh, not as important as health right now for uh, the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. We'll get that story and how the season has started. And John Calvano in our Future Files is the head coach of the Edmonton Flyers. Uh, or the Vancouver Flyers, pardon me, and they took part in the Challenge Cup this past weekend. And we will get his thoughts on that and much more as we go. But let's jump into our first segment. Our first guest will be Ryan DeCook of the Spruce Grove Saints, who is having an outstanding rookie season. So let's find out how things are going with the last line of defense in the rookie season for the Saints. Ryan, thanks very much for joining us here on Game Changers. Uh, I guess let's just start with what the first kind of month and a half of uh, your AJHL career has been like. Yeah, it's been pretty fun. Um, Yeah, it's definitely been kind of like a dream so far. Everything's been... uh, um, pretty uh surreal i guess um you know it's it's gone pretty well so far especially uh the way i've played and uh just kind of my personal goals along the way kind of um 
been going on cues. So, and uh, all the guys are really great too. And coaching staff is great. So it's been fun to play at this level. Yeah. And some of the guys uh, you, you know, or know through their brothers who you played with. So coming into this locker room, especially at a training camp with some familiar faces and names probably made that a little bit easier. Did it not? Oh yeah. Especially uh, knowing Jed and stuff like we work out at the um, same place. And then uh, Nathan Hawkins too is from Lethbridge. So been training with him all summer and um, yeah, it's pretty easy to kind of integrate yourself into the room. I mean, the guys are already super welcoming already. So it was pretty easy. Yeah. That seems like a uh, pretty good room. Now you've played almost as many games now already than, than you did last season. How are you handling the fatigue factor and getting used to the increased workload? Yeah. uh, It's definitely been a change for sure. I think last year I probably what only played maybe 15 regular season games or so something Something like like that. that, Yeah. Um, yeah, no, honestly, I, I felt really good. Uh, like after, you know, I felt like I could play all 62, to be honest. Uh, my body felt really good. And, um, honestly, it's just kind of the mental side of things, just kind of, um, keeping consistent with your, with your focus and, um, knowing your goals and uh, just keep striving for greatness really. And, uh, Yeah. And, and that that has to be the mindset of uh, just realizing what's in front of you each and every night, just like in-game. It's almost a microcosm of your in-game when you kind of take it save by save, but then you can look back at the overall picture. And you're, you're right, I think you did play exactly 16 games last year. So that, that fatigue factor, was that something that you prepped for in this off-season, knowing that, you know, there could be an increased workload uh, stepping up to the next level? And what was that off-season like for you? Yeah, it was, it was definitely a grind for sure. I mean, I was in the gym like twice a day, uh, plus like ice times at night and um, just kind of working around the house and stuff too. So I was de- definitely preparing for it. I mean, my trainer did a great job too. And uh, just kind of, you know, you're always on the, the bike or assault bike and, you know, you're getting the cardio going. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely um, a big uh, building block and coming into this season was making sure my body was uh, at 100% and uh, my cardio was um, much better than it was years prior. And you, do you, have you been able to note physically notice that as you're going, um, not that you ever got tired before, but just that you have maybe that extra push in the third period? Yeah, I definitely feel like I can go um, a lot longer, like uh, especially endurance wise, you can feel it in practice too. Like, you know, when practice was, you know, getting to an end sometimes before, you know, you're getting tired and you're kind of slipping into those bad habits where mm-hmm. now it's kind of, um, pretty just like one tempo and you're going all the way and uh, you can focus on those good habits a lot more. Yeah, 100%. What's the biggest difference for you off the ice uh, in your uh, first AJHL season? Um, well, I guess li- living with a billet family, I guess, and they're great. They're awesome. So uh, shout out to them. They do a great job. And uh, other than that, probably um, maybe just like travel wise and, uh, you're on the road a lot. You're, you know, it's a pretty busy schedule. So you always got something on the go compared to the JP where, you know, you're kind of, you had a weekend off some weekends, which was really nice, but um, this is just 
uh, 24-7 grind, which I love, so... Yeah, it's it's hockey all the time, and you know this is obviously what your your focus is now on your career. And let's go back to the start of last year. Was making the jump to the AJHL this season was that a goal that you set for yourself last year? Or take me back to you, what your mindset was here as you were playing with Lethbridge United. Yeah, obviously, like it's always been a, a dream of mine to play in the AJHL. I remember talking to my dad about it ever since I was little, and you know trying to get a you know, a division one scholarship, that's always kind of been the dream. So, and unfortunately last year, the, the saints kind of gave me that opportunity with them um, signing with them. And um, yeah, honestly, last year is just to try and get noticed and um, by any junior A team. And uh, for me, I was fortunate enough uh, to get noticed by the saints. So it's been, it worked out really well. So and far. and you- you mentioned about uh, going to school. Uh, tell me a little bit about that dream. And, you know, have you grown up uh, paying a lot of attention to college games? I got to grow up right close to North Dakota. So I got to watch uh, North Dakota games all the time. And I was fascinated by it, just like I was the junior leagues in Canada. But tell me about the, that goal and that dream of, of, of being and now being so close, possibly, uh, to achieving a, a trip down to the States to play hockey. Yeah, well, I grew up in Lethbridge, so we had the Hurricanes right there. And, you know, you're always watching major junior games, which was pretty cool. So um, definitely when I was younger, I fell in love with the WHL. And then the Bantam draft never came around and uh, I didn't get drafted, so which was all right. Um, but it was really my brother who, uh, my older brother, who turned me on to the, the college side of things in the States. And then I really started to take a look at that. And I'm like, wow, that'd be that'd be pretty cool, you know, get your education and um, play some really good hockey as well uh, while you're doing it. So I just thought that was um, really cool. Yeah, it it is, uh, you know, the best of both worlds. uh, And and I think it's a, a, a great tale uh, and a great lesson for a lot of kids to learn that, you know, you, yeah, you're looking forward to that WHL draft. It doesn't happen. And there are other options and there are other routes and, and the college route is, uh, you know, has been proven uh, to be just as, uh, you know, successful as some of the other routes. So, so that's awesome. And, and I, I think that's a great lesson for other young kids out there that, yeah, being disappointed is fine, but it's not the be all end all and, you know, hockey, your hockey career can continue in fantastic fashion, even if you don't get drafted. Yeah, exactly. Tell me about the JPHL and uh, how that was uh, last season preparing you for this year in the AJHL. Yeah, it's it's a great league. I mean, really good competition. Uh, there's, you know, they're doing great things with that league. I just visited the the new rink in Niskew, and that's a, a very nice facility. So, I mean, the league's just going to keep growing and growing and uh, getting better and looks like this year they have a couple new teams so that's exciting to see and uh, yeah, hopefully it just keeps growing because I, I loved it personally uh, like the the facilities you get uh, the coaches you get the type of coaches you get um, the off ice uh, development you get was unlike any other I've had in minor hockey uh, years prior and um, yeah it's just a really uh, fortunate thing for me to have that down in Lethbridge and uh, Wade Klippenstein kind of create that team. So uh, I was very fortunate uh, to have that happen. 
How much fun was that with that group? I mean, you guys had a tough start, but then you made the final four in the U18 division. To be able to 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 take that start and then see the finish and that completed project, that must have been so fun. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. We had a great group of guys um, and led by our uh, coach, Ed Zawatsky, uh, great coach. Uh, he really kind of helped us, you know, like uh, build together as a team and kind of uh, realize what it meant, uh, not only for, you know, your, your individual kind of standpoint, but uh, to be like, be strong as a team. And uh, he kind of led us that way. So, but yeah, it was, it was a ton of fun. The guys were great. Leagues were great. Hotels were great. Um, yeah, it was a good year. What made you uh, give it a shot? Brand new league. Uh, what was it that you said, Hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give this league a shot. Obviously it worked out well because you're now in Spruce Grove, but do you remember what it was that made you say, yeah, I'm going to play for the JPHL this year? Yeah, uh, definitely the, the people like who were involved around it. Uh, you know, I, I kind of put my trust into them and I trusted those people and, you know, I knew they could, um, you know, further my hockey career, which they did. And especially having Alex Serrard down there as our uh, strength coach, as well as our goalie coach, he was kind of the, the turning point for me. And um, definitely one of my most influential goalie coaches and strength coaches to this point in my career. So I got to give a lot of props to him. Oh, that is awesome. Uh, how about your who is or was your favorite NHL goalie uh, when you were younger or if it's still the same today or different? Uh, when I was younger, uh, I really liked Roberto Luongo. Um, just kind of his gear and everything just kind of um, made me uh, uh, like the attention of uh, being a goalie, and I just thought he was really cool in the net. But now it's probably uh, Devin Levi, mm. a younger guy coming into the NHL. Um, hasn't played too many games yet, but definitely kind of um, a game structured somewhat similar to mine and just a super athletic guy whose compete level is insane and uh, his details are uh, just really awesome. So. Yeah, and, and a guy that had some success uh, on the, the international stage. And I wonder, as you continue in the AJHL, if uh, the World Junior A Challenge is, is maybe on your mind. And is that a, a goal to play, obviously, internationally for Canada at some point? Yeah, that's definitely a goal of mine that I've had uh, coming into the season is, you know, I'd really like to have a crack at that. And um, we'll see where things go with it. Uh, but I think that would be, you know, there's – there's not many other things that can compare to putting a maple leaf on your chest and going out to play. So I think that would be a huge honor. Now, well, you mentioned Alex earlier, but uh, who, who are some of the people that have really helped you in your goaltending journey? It's such a specific position. And nowadays it's great that, uh, you know, kids from a young age get that specific tutoring. I mean, I grew up in an era where it was somebody's dad shooting on us. That was our goalie coach. And you didn't get the most specific training, but who's really helped you in your journey between the pipes? Uh, yeah, obviously Alex Rard. Um, my brother was an older goalie who played uh in the junior hockey ranks a little bit in junior a and junior b but uh, i've always kind of looked up to him and kind of he was he was he was a battler he, he loved to compete and that's kind of where i get some of that is from him so i've always looked up to him um obviously uh my dad you know 
he's the one that allows me to play the game. Like without him, I, I probably wouldn't be a goalie. He supports me so much, whether it's just gear wise, get nice or, you know, paying for those goalie coaches, which are uh, not cheap. So uh, definitely my dad as well. Uh, my parents both are just great supporters of me and uh, you know, they do everything they can to help me out. Uh, but guys like Matt Weninger as well, I've had in the past of um, help my game. Uh, the guys at GDI do a great job too um, in Calgary. So I like visiting those guys in the summer and yeah, it's, it's honestly been a, um, a, a city or, or like a village of people that kind of, you know, helped me along the way. Yeah, it, it uh, certainly is. Um, how many sets of pads do you go through a, a year? Um, well, my pads that I had, uh, before I had them for two years, oh, and then, yeah. So coming into this year, I got brand new sets of everything and, I have a, a game glove and a, a game blocker and a practice glove and a practice blocker. So I have two gloves and two blockers. So that definitely helps out with uh, keeping the gear a little bit more intact and not getting as many stingers as you usually do. Yeah, no kidding. Do you find that, that your gloves are exactly the same? Do you, do you get them exactly the same practice and game or does it matter to you? Uh, the game one is just a little bit more, um, like easier to close where the practice one's a, a lot stiffer and it has more padding. Sure. So you're not getting those, uh, stingers and stuff. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're the same make. They're both a 580 and mm-hmm. blockers are pretty generally the same. Just the, the palms are the same. That's about the only thing you can change on a blocker, I think. Right. Yeah, exactly. There's not, there's not a whole lot. Um, what about your mask, uh, white mask guy, or are you uh, looking to get it painted? Uh, yeah, I've, I've had a white mask for the past two seasons or mm-hmm. no, maybe three now. Um, but usually I, I've always had a painted mask growing up, but as you kind of get older, you, uh, uh, and as you're transitioning to junior, you're always told to just go with a plain white mask because mm-hmm. you never know what's going to happen. Right. So, uh, I'd, I'd definitely love to get it painted soon, uh, but I've, growing up, I've always had a custom mask with a cookie monster on there and <laughs> and everything and my nickname on my chin. So uh, hopefully I'll get another one soon. That, that's the, the greatest thing I think about being a goaltender is, you know, and I'm a bit of a, a gear nerd is, you know, I love the kits. I love the, the JPHL setup with some of the kids like the, you know, I'm partial to the all black Okanagan look. I thought it was really cool. And I, I, even when I was playing, I'd always be checking out the other guy's gear and stuff like that. So it's the, the coolest thing about the position is you get to stand out a little bit. You get to personalize it a little bit. I mean, not a lot of guys can do stickers on their helmet or paint their helmets so it's the one really neat thing about that position is you can put some personality into your equipment oh yeah i remember even playing road hockey and stuff back in the day i'd always be putting like tape on my pads or making some sort of design on there yeah i've always i think you know um being a goalie that's kind of one of the first things you you look at is how cool those guys look in the net. And you're like, man, like I want to be one of those guys. So 
Yeah, that's the way I was. Hockey cards, uh, the poses, and then you would try and uh, act them out in, in practice and everything. And it's just, it's so much fun. Uh, Ryan, this has been a lot of fun. I, I, I had the pleasure of watching you in the JP last year. It's been fun watching you uh, with the Saints so far. Continued success, and uh, we'll chat down the road. Awesome. Thank you. DeCook and the Saints are home to Camrose tonight. Uh, that is Wednesday. I will join the broadcast for that uh, as sideline host with Brandon Ewan Cheshen and Tyler Woke. Then Thursday afternoon, a noon and loud start with school children in attendance in Camrose. And then home to Brooks on Saturday night. Big tilt there. Trick or treat at the rink in the intermissions. Kids in costumes get in free as well the thunderbirds from seattle uh they are on their alberta swing right now they beat edmonton on sunday antonio martirana game changers karma with a goal samuel charco also picked up his first whl point and scott ratzlaff uh with the victory game changers karma uh they are in lethbridge tonight speedy creek in on friday and medicine Hat on saturday and then next friday is Patrick Marlowe Jersey Retirement Night. As you can see on the website, you can head to chl.ca if you want to check that out uh, and go to chl.ca slash whl-thunderbirds for schedule information and more good stuff when it comes to the Seattle Thunderbirds. All right, well, over the weekend, we had the Challenge Cup in Edmonton. It was highly entertaining. And when we get into it next, we will speak with John Calvano, the head coach of the Vancouver Flyers and the BC Junior Canucks when it comes to the brick. Let's chat some hockey with a longtime coach out in Vancouver. John, thanks very much for joining us here on Game Changers. Uh, let's, uh, I guess, start with the past weekend. Uh, your experience uh, in Edmonton at the Challenge Cup. Yeah, um, you know, obviously, uh, great experience for all families that are involved in the HPL uh, program, and uh, you know, definitely our families uh, making a trip to Edmonton is quite easy and. Uh, you know, affordable and uh, obviously with the amount of hotels and the new outlet near the near the airport, which uh, gave a bit of time for some extra activities between games. Uh, and obviously the rink itself was uh, unbelievable. What about the excitement for the kids, um, you know, getting to face uh, competition from another province, the, the first, I guess, travel, big trip of the season and and all that stuff. Uh, was it was it pretty keyed up Were the kids pretty excited over the weekend? Yeah, definitely. Um you know, obviously, an in independent hockey world uh, is uh, quite small, and uh, you know, having a partner so close to us uh, over in Alberta, it gives us that uh, variety of teams and competition that you know you uh, you kind of miss out a little bit through minor hockey. But you know, knowing that a province over has got the best players in Alberta, they're playing, and um, you know, to make that trip is is great. So uh, you know, obviously, a lot. A lot easier to get to than most places in North America. Yeah, and and you mentioned it. The independent hockey world is small. So, what was the competition like between the HSL and the HPL? I I was there, and I thought it was uh, pretty close most of the games. Yeah, I think uh, both provinces are doing a fantastic job growing. Uh, you know this uh, 
new stream for families. Um, you know, we call it uh, stream of choice, um, you know, without many restrictions on residential rules and, uh, you know, where kids can come from to play, uh, you know, within your province on an organization. So, you know, I feel like it's growing every year. Obviously, the HSL has done a fantastic job, you know, uh, being, I guess, pioneers out west of of this stream. And, um, you know, we feel out in BC, we've uh, done a great job growing our our option for families uh, right from the, you know, U7 program right up to U13 currently. Yeah, and I think it's uh, only growing and and only getting better. And uh, the competition was great. Uh, you know, the the facility. I guess uh, we can get to that. It's not fully finished, but what you from what you saw from the Silent Ice Center, uh, how excited are you to get back and 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 check it out when all the bells and whistles are going? Yeah, I think you know. Obviously, uh, you know, when the kids are on the ice, the ice is ice. But you know, I think. Uh, Felt definitely for the age groups that were there uh, this past weekend, the U11 and U10s. Uh, you know, both rinks had a you know great environment with uh, the the seating and the and the music and the PA announcers and uh, you know obviously uh, the dress rooms were really nice and uh, you know the overall facility and uh, the live streaming at in the the last day was uh, so, so well done and uh, professionally done that family and friends back home were able to uh, still enjoy the game without you know, obviously being all the way out in uh, Alberta. Yeah, that's, you know, that's something that uh, we certainly take pride on is is giving these kids uh, a, a bit of a big league experience, even at that young age. And, and honestly, the hockey deserves it the hockey is so good that a lot of people should be watching the next generation so you know when I was a kid I was lucky if somebody had a camera in the stands and I always say it looked like they were shooting from a boat but you know for these kids to be able to go back and and watch these highlights over and over again I'm sure they were already watching them on the way home yeah I know it's great um like I said you know we had a lot of you know obviously with our team group chats and uh you know our uh we had people cheering cheering each other on and obviously uh positive words of encouragement for the kids in attendance and uh obviously there's you know a lot of older grandparents that just can't make the trip out uh to be able to still watch their grandkids play and uh you know enjoy their their experience from afar and um yeah we're looking forward to uh I know I got to go out there again I think our 2015's uh are you nine team is out there in a few weeks and then uh are you uh our U12 team will be out there uh, early December, I believe. So, yeah, it's a, like I said, it's a great facility. Obviously, when the restaurant upstairs is fully open and the full seating where uh, the parents can enjoy walking around the concourse and, uh, you know, enjoying some of the great architectural designs that, you know, they've done uh, inside the rink and outside will be uh, tremendous. Yeah, there will be a difference uh, when you get back for sure. And, and you know, the broadcast will be uh, even better than they already have. How about coaching in the HPL? You've been able to coach at a lot of different uh, high levels and obviously coach some uh, extremely high-level players. Uh, what do you like about the HPL? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I was, I'm fortunate enough that living in Vancouver, uh, we had a lot of opportunities to coach at some uh, great organizations that allowed players to move in at a at an early age it's just uh you know the negative was you know other other kids and other jurisdictions were restricted to where they live and uh residential areas so you know the HPL has been really exciting because like I said it's choice it's uh you know families aren't happy with a coach or type of program they're running they they can go to another team or 
another program with no, you know, no worries about, you know, where they live and whatnot. So I think it's a real positive thing for the kids and the families to, to choose their right path and right developers to uh, help their athlete achieve, you know, their ultimate goal of success in, uh, in the sport of hockey. Yeah, choice. Um, I, I personally, I just think choice makes everybody step up their game, and and everybody having a choice or, or another choice. Obviously, it's a, a a lot of family decisions, just like when when players get older, and and that kind of leads into the the JPHL, the Junior Prospects Hockey League, which is uh, I, I think a perfect uh, stepping stone from the HSL or the HPL. Um, the JPHL in its second season. What do you think about this uh, vein of independent? hockey at the older age groups yeah i think like you know alberta seems to be more um currently more forward thinking than let's say out west i mean uh you know meaning bc definitely lower mainland we have you know a number of academies that play in the cshl that you know do a great job as well and uh it's something that's been around for a long time um to try to break into that market's going to take a little bit of time but I, I feel it's growing and you know the awareness of it of the jphl with some obviously high-end uh, players from bc playing in it currently uh, liam Pugh, who's playing with the langley academy uh right now is a tremendous prospect and uh, will you know hopefully put the jphl you know at a, at a new level and obviously the current uh, environment with the bchl being independent that you know for kids that are in that u18 age group that are looking to go to the ncaa route um it seems like a a no-brainer for uh, families to uh, choose that side of of the independent stream to uh, be affiliated. Yeah, and and I just think it's going to force a lot of leagues out there to step up their game. You know, anytime somebody new comes along and gives another choice, it makes everybody have to be better. And we should all be striving to be better for the next generation of hockey players. This is forcing, I think, all the other leagues, including the JPHL each year, to improve and, you know, you want to attract players, you have to offer something maybe that somebody else doesn't or be better at it than they are in, in your words. So I think in, in the league's words, in our words. So I think that yeah. it's just forcing everybody to step up their game. No, I agree. I mean, it's obviously it's, uh, it's definitely a, a practice that's been uh, used down in the U S for many years. And, you know, you look at the LA junior Kings programs or the Anaheim junior ducks or kids are moving across the country because, from Arizona to play for Detroit just because their program is better and uh, better offering for competition. And, you know, I think the thing with the JPHL that I really, I really like is their uh, cost unity between all the programs and, uh, you know, the cost sharing, I guess, if you want to call it, call it such. And um, the opportunity to, to have showcase weekends for all the scouts to attend and, and watch the players. And, um, you know, obviously uh, the exposure is, is great. Yeah, the you know the I, I know the scouts from talking to them. They they enjoy the fact that the games are uh, the four four day showcase, three day showcase, and and a lot all the games uh, online as well. So uh, there, there's a lot of uh, things that they're getting right, and they'll continue to uh, to tweak and and just like every league, uh, continue to make changes. Uh, well, what we we can't have you on without talking about um, you know one of the greatest players that I'm sure, and maybe the greatest player that you've ever had a chance to work with, and he's so new. Uh, 
into the National Hockey League. Uh, you've known Connor Bedard for a long time. I, I read a great article last year where you said he just was like a sponge jumping into drills, even when there was NHL players. So what's your thought process, having known him so well and spent so much time with him on his debut uh, so far in the National Hockey League? Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, just on the first part, obviously I've been super fortunate through uh, coaching for a lot of years and being one of the, I guess, the first jumping into the the system of uh, Vancouver development way back in the day uh, to watch a lot of great players come through from, you know, Gilbert Brule right to uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who's with the Oilers and Matthew Barzell, who won Rookie of the Year and, uh, you know, obviously got fortunate here with uh, with Connor being part of that next wave of uh, great young talented players uh, coming out of our system in Vancouver. And, uh, you know, for any 18 year old to make the jump to the national hockey league is obviously quite difficult. And with the schedule he's had to endure here with, uh, I think it was five games on the road to start and all tough competition. And then obviously his home opener against Stanley cup defending champions wasn't, uh, didn't get any easier, and uh, I don't think it gets easier tonight with the Boston Bruins, or I think five and zero right now to start the season. So um, he's, you know, obviously doing tremendously well and getting adjusted to travel, and you know, not sometimes not even practicing, which I know, uh, knowing for Connor is probably the biggest adjustment is just uh, you know not being able to get on the ice when he would be on the ice every day, all day if, uh, if it was made available. He seems like no moment is too big for him. And and I know that's kind of maybe cliche with some young kids, but really he doesn't seem to ever get phased uh, by anything, whether it's, you know, going up against Sidney Crosby in the very first face-off of the NHL or, you know, jumping in drills uh, with guys in, in practices that you're running. Is that kind of his mindset is that he just doesn't get phased by anybody? Uh, he- you know, I've been asked this quite a bit and, uh, you know, obviously with all our kids in Vancouver, we've, we've, uh, always believed in the paying it forward model or, you know, the young guys coming up, we allow them, you know, if they show that maturity and, and that attentiveness to, uh, go and skate with the NHL guys, um, from a young age, I mean, with Connor, he was 10 and, uh, Barzell was 11 when he was first started skating with NHL guys and, uh, Liam Pugh skated last summer with the group with Connor actually um, on the ice. So, you know, and he was two years ago, which he, so he would have been U13. So we've always, we've always allowed or given those kids the opportunity to see how, you know, mentally do they react as a, uh, you know, as they call it a fanboy or just look at the players as they're just another player of, of the game of hockey and just jump into it. And that's the, exactly how you would describe, uh, you know, and, and I think the fact that these kids come into the NHL more mature um, is just they're, they're looking at it at a young age, younger age now, some of them anyway, as, OK, this is not just hockey. It's something that I want to do. And they have that drive and determination, which is incredible to have uh, pre-teenage years. It just tells you how, how special some of these kids are. Not every kid can be that and should be like that. But the ones that can handle it, certainly, it's it's impressive. No, it is, and I. But I also think, because obviously, I'm not sure how it is in Edmonton or or Calgary area, but you know, in Vancouver, 
there's a few few of us that work with uh, the local NHL players or pros uh, from Europe or American League guys. And, you know, most of us are running camps in the day at the same facility from U7s, U10s, U12s to pro guys skating in between. And uh, I think for a lot of our kids, it's it's just normal to see them every day and up close and personal and uh, get an autograph, take a picture. And it's, it's almost... Uh, a common thread here in the city. I know I spent some time in Toronto this summer and, um, you know, they're, they're on major lockdown for their pros and who can get access to go and watch and, you know, enjoy that part of it. So I think our kids in Vancouver, definitely the lower mainland and uh, Kelowna, which has a lot of NHL players are uh, very fortunate that they get to watch it on a daily basis in the summer months. Yeah, and then they're maybe not as odd when, you know, they eventually get there, right? It's kind of like the thought of the JPHL is get these kids, you know, ready for the next level so that they don't walk in bright-eyed and, and, and wow, they're still going to be a little bit, most of them, but it it, it certainly gets them ready. And, you know, playing in big events uh, is something like uh, that that certainly helps. You've coached in the Brick. I've been able to call play-by-play for the Brick, one of uh, the most fun tournaments uh, that there is out there, and it's in a mall, so it's kind of cool. I guess the experience of coaching in the Brick for you, uh, it has been a lot of fun over the years, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, my first year uh, coaching at the Brick Turn was in 2001. Um, and then um, I didn't return back till 2007. Uh, uh, fortunate that we won that season. We had uh, Jansen Harkins, Math Barzell, um, Noah Juleson all on the team. And we had uh, great other kids on the team as well. And then, um, you know, just kept going back every year. And obviously with some all the organizers and Craig Styles and Andy Wingston and obviously our uh, team rep and Craig Reed were, have always been super accommodating and, uh, you know, welcoming to all of us and, you know, definitely our families. And uh, it's one of those events you mark on your calendar, always excited to go. Um, obviously, you know, the mall is a great, great venue. And at that time of year, it's uh, super busy, you know, 14 teams, you know, everybody's basically from out of town, even Team Alberta, at least half the teams from Calgary generally. So um, there's always a buzz in the mall. And, uh, you know, me and a couple of my buddies that have coached that have coached with me, it's we always find it interesting to try to pick out the future NHLers of from that tournament at 10. And, you know, we're we're always guessing and circling and going back when it's their draft year. And uh, yeah, I think it's just really a neat experience to watch. Cole Caulfield at 10 years old or, you know, Jack Hughes or, uh, you know, Connor for that matter, or Macklin Celebrini, who's projected to go number one this year. Or, um, it's been you know really cool to watch them and then see them progress throughout the rest of their career. And, um, you know, we've been fortunate. We've had some good teams over the years to, to compete and play in the finals and, and win. And uh, it's, you know, I'd say it's, you know, the, the the greatest greatest youth hockey tournament around and to happen at 10 years old it just is uh, a springboard into the next six years of uh who the kids are going to see constantly and throughout north america at every you know big spring event uh moving forward 
Yeah, I love going through the National Hockey League draft each year and and seeing all the the kids that played in in the Brick tournament or even you know a few years after the Brick tournament the uh, the WHL draft. And when you're talking about kids at that age, uh, you know you would know this more than me, but they just they're sponges at everything. So when you have them on the ice and you're teaching them stuff, do they just like soak it up literally like a sponge? And and is that some of the 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 pure joy that you get when when a young kid just gets it right away? Oh yeah. If they get it right away, then it's, uh, it's like, uh, the heavens are opening up, but you know, they're still nine and 10 and their brains can only take up, you know, so much information. And I just, you know, I feel over the years being there since 07, that the team strategies have all gone much more complex than back in 07, where it's a lot now junior coaches, uh, some NCAA coaches have, have been there, some ex-NHLers and pros and, you know, Marty St. Louis coached in that tournament for three years. So, you know, obviously you got to give more information and more strategies to the kids to an information that they got to retain. And for some, it's, you know, obviously more difficult than, um, than others, but, you know, it's always fun to see their improvement and growth throughout that tournament. And, uh, you know, about the programs, I mean, this year, I believe we had, between uh, the NHL draft, like nine or 11 players drafted this year that played on our brick team. So, um, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. And, you know, the cool part is when you still see them at the rink, they still recognize you and say hi. And I mean, uh, Seattle's got two kids and Jeremy Hansel and uh, Sawyer Mignot, who we were able to see this weekend as the, the T-Birds are practicing. So, you know, it was great to run into them and kind of, uh, you know, reminisce a little bit, but, um, yeah, it's a great event, great tournament. Um, you know, definitely, uh, stressful for parents and <laughs> everybody alike. Cause it's your first real big visual of, you know, your, your really your draft class and your, uh, athletes, uh, birth year, uh, for the next six years where you're going to be competing. Yeah, you get to see a lot of the same faces over the next few years. And Hansel, I went to the game on uh, Sunday. Uh, Seattle was in town. He dropped the gloves in that one. So it's uh, it's it's always fun uh, following kids that go along. And, you know, you as, uh, as a scout and involved in hockey, watching some pretty high-caliber hockey in BC. From what I've been told, the BCHL is excellent. You mentioned some of the academies, the JPHL. I mean, it's a pretty good time to be a scout in BC, based in BC right now, isn't it? A lot of miles, a lot of, a lot of, rink, uh, you know, I mean, uh, a lot of choices. So, you know, kids are kind of scattered everywhere, but um, yeah, I mean, you can any day or time on a weekend, you can find a game to go watch and uh, obviously see a prospect uh, moving forward. And, you know, in the youth hockey, whether it's, uh, you know, our stream or the traditional stream, there's a lot of, a lot of great players playing them both. And uh, obviously the, uh, the opportunities all lead to the same, same end result which is you know obviously uh the whl for uh many of these kids is their their goal and um you know pro hockey uh after that well uh, a lot of kids that you've worked with have uh, went down that path and i appreciate uh, a little bit of the time that you were able to give us today john look forward to seeing you when you get back into edmonton and best of luck the rest of the hockey season all right i really appreciate it thanks dean jphl is back at it 
the Silent Ice Center Thursday to Sunday. Uh, all four divisions uh, involved in that one in an Alberta regional showcase. And then we will also uh, be on hand in Delta at Planet Ice for games on Friday to Sunday, U14 and U18 action. And of course, all of the games available on silenticetv.com. You can get yourself the $99.99 season pass that includes all of the games, uh, or uh, you can uh, pay, buy the game, $3.99, to download, and an $8 download and viewing package available as well. So there you have it. That is the JPHL schedule. And of course, everything and more can be found at silenticetv.com. Well, the city of Winnipeg is getting behind uh, their head coach, Rick Bonus because uh, things have been tough in Winnipeg on the health side of things. Let's bring in Jamie Thomas of Jets TV right now to give us the latest. Jamie, uh, great to chat with you uh, once again, as we have so many times over the years. And uh, you and I talk about uh, hockey a lot of times. We also talk about life issues. Uh, As we get older, uh, we seem to accumulate more issues. And and certainly talking about those with friends is is important. And life certainly became bigger than hockey in Winnipeg this week with uh, the unfortunate situation that transpired with Rick Bonus and his wife, Judy. Can you kind of give us a timeline of what... What went down in the city of Winnipeg uh, over this last little while? Yeah, o- over the weekend, uh, Judy Bonus, uh, I believe it was Sunday because the Jets were back from, uh, of course, Edmonton with that big win over the Oilers. And Judy uh, suffered a seizure and is uh, clearly uh, needing some medical assistance. And so Rick has chosen, uh, which any husband would do, of course, to step aside uh, while she goes through the testing and all that, like there's there's been no update uh, as of this moment uh, after today after Monday's announcement, Dino, and uh, yeah, totally scary moment. And you commonly hear the term, you know, this is like a reality check, and you realize on what where, where sports ranks and the, and the level of importance in in real life. Um, this is one of those moments. So um, you know, Rick Bonus stepping aside, Scott O'Neill is now the interim head coach. And, you know, last year the Jets have, you know, they've gone through this before with Rick because of COVID last year. And mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's a scary situation. Uh, we risk, clearly everybody that's in the hockey world, you know, knows how great of a person Rick Bonus is. His wife, Judy, is a delight. Um, clearly, uh, he, he speaks of her all the time. Um, so, you know, we were wishing the bonuses all the best in, in, in this situation. So it's... Um, you know, they've constantly mentioned that this is a family first, and, and that's certainly what True North Sports and Entertainment has, uh, you know, preached over the years, at least the time I've been here. And this is one of those situations, and Mark Scheifele said it too, you know, that that's the most importantly, it's about her health, and we'll worry about the, the hockey part a little bit later. Yeah, I was going to ask what the reaction within the city and the team yeah. has been like. Yeah, it's, I mean, like I said just a little bit ago, Rick clearly is held in a high regard here in the city and, you know, you, you know, whatever is going on with the team, you know, if they were struggling or they're six and oh or whatever like that, I'm pretty sure Jets fans are most mostly concerned about the welfare of Judy bonus. And, and you hear that, you know, the uh, people around the office today, same thing, you know, what's going on with Judy. I hope she's okay. And, 
And, you know, I've got friends texting me like yourself. I hope she's okay. You know, you're, what's the latest with her? There's genuine concern for Judy Bonus and Rick Bonus, of course. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard not to be affected by it. Um, the players clearly, you know, Scott O'Neill said yesterday that the most important thing is you go out and play a, a good, solid hockey game. Not me, of course. Um, the players themselves execute the game plan and continue to build off uh, what was an impressive win in Edmonton. But uh, it is a real reality check when these types of things happen um, and you realize how much the organization and clearly the city of Winnipeg care about the, the bonuses. Yeah, and, and this is a city, uh, let's be honest, it was pretty split yeah. last summer b- because of mm-hmm. what happened. Some People were siding with the players. Some people were siding with the coach. Now everybody is siding with the coach in this one. Hockey is less important. And and Mm -hmm. obviously the the well-being of Judy is the most important thing. And you mentioned Scott O'Neill taking the reins. No stranger to that bench in particular. He had a tremendous amount of success with the Manitoba Moose in that exact bench in Winnipeg. Will we notice a difference, do you think, in the style that O'Neill coaches compared to Rick Bonus? Yeah, I, I think, well, both guys are very emotional, right? It's just like uh, there's no question that Scott O'Neill is, reacts the same way Rick does. And, you, 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 if you, you know, if you see a player making an ill-advised pass to the neutral zone, you're, you're going to see Rick pounding his, his fist on the glass every once in a while, and I'm sure Scott won't be any different. So O'Neill traditionally or normally when he is – the associate coach handles the defense and he's responsible for the penalty kill. Now it's just basically all the duties involved in one. But, um, you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier, they've, they've gone through this before. They've been shorthanded on the bench uh, without Rick because he had COVID a couple of times last year and, or the after effects of COVID uh, when he got it earlier in the season, actually right at the beginning part of the season. So this is, it's just one last guy on the bench at this moment, you know, last year, um, Eric Dubois came up from the Manitoba Moose to help out a little bit too. And Brad Lauer was uh, sidelined with back issues. So I'm not sure if they'll be doing any changes at this moment, but um, uh, as of the moment, it's just going to be the guys that they have ordinarily minus work bonus on the bench. We talked a little bit about uh, turmoil. When we saw each other in the summer in Winnipeg, we yeah. had a, a beautiful breakfast on the patio, and this city uh-huh. was in turmoil in the offseason. <laughs> the, the season had yes. ended badly. There was the comments at the end. Uh, Dubois trade. Uh, Blake yes. Wheeler was bought out. And then, boom, it changes like that when Hellebuck and Shifley sign. And it's almost like all that turmoil disappeared what was it like coming into training camp and how has it been you know navigating all that stuff because there was a lot of stuff that went on in the offseason right and I, I think you you start in particular with the you know when you first start training camp and Rick Bonus addressed the, you know we knew that they were going to have conversations and I'm talking about the players and Rick Bonus after the comments he made after game five right and it, you know clearly some players weren't happy with it um and they made it apparent uh, at the exit meetings but at that moment you knew when everybody walked out of that room that day that rick bonus was going to reach out to the players that he's always been in communication with them that is one of his skills that is one of the things that he's excellent at and that's what they've always appreciated about him so that was kind of by the time training camp rolled around that was water under the bridge and now it's like how is the return on pierre luc dubois going to work so how many times have you ever seen a trade where you trade a number one slash two center and you get three players three forwards that fit right into your lineup. So you go from top heavy, in my opinion, a top six heavy to a, a team that can roll four lines uh, with the addition of Alex Iafalo, Gabriel Velarde, and Rasmus Kapari. Now, mind you, Velarde was injured in his first meeting with his former team, the Los Angeles Kings. In the first period, he's out, you know, four to four to six weeks with an MCL sprain. Hopefully, sooner or later, he comes back. So 
the Jets automatically had to adjust, right? It's It was, and we'll get into that in a second because I'm trying to address things in the timeline here, but everybody's happy with the return. And then out of nowhere, and to me, I never felt that Mark Scheifele was on his way out. And I was more hesitant to commit to the fact that Connor Hellebuck was going to stay here. But when Rick Bonus was asked about having to listen to trades on July 1st, on the first day of free agency, he said he has to as a general manager. That's your job. But he, when he said this, I was like, okay, now that doesn't sound like they're really going to move them. They would leave big holes in the organization. And how many times, how hard is it to find number one centers? How hard is it to find a Vesna caliber goaltender. They're just don't, they just don't, right? There's not everywhere in the league. So the big fear was you trade Hellebuck or you trade Shifley or you trade both. What are you getting in return? Are you getting a number one center back? Are you getting how your eventual number one goaltender? Is Lauren Brassois going to have to be your number one netminder if you trade Connor Hellebuck? Well, that all goes out the window when the announcement is made when they sign seven-year extensions. And the big thing here is, so with Mark Shifley, We'll start with him. He kind of had said his idol is Steve Eiserman. And Eiserman played his entire career with the with the Detroit Red Wings. My apologies. So he wanted to have that as legacy to be a Winnipeg Jet for his career. And I think the second he said, I want to be a Jet for life, you know, all of a sudden everyone in Winnipeg is like, okay, that's that's great news. Because we know, buddy, you're from here. You know this. I didn't know it as much until I moved here. There's that whole thing, that whole Thing on the shoulders of Winnipeggers, nobody wants to be here. So when a player, players of those caliber decide they want to stay here long term, and they're not the first ones, buddy. Kyle Connor's here long term. Josh Morrissey has decided to play a big chunk of his career here. So obviously, there's something good going on in the city of Winnipeg, and in particular the organization. So that that you know the fact Kevin Shoveldale told the story of. When they, the players announced to the team that they're going to stay long term, there's a huge eruption in the room. You know, they're just that is that must have taken a huge weight off the shoulders of not only Mark Scheifele and Connor Hellebuck, but the players themselves. They have to answer questions though. What do you think of the future? What what's it going to take to keep Mark Scheifele here? What are you going to do? Like, is Connor Hellebuck here long term? You don't have to answer those questions anymore. And I think that and the fact that those two committed. That said everything you needed to know about how tight of a group they are and that they wanted to stay here. And I love the story that Mark Scheifele told about. He told Cole Perfetti about that he was staying, and Perfetti was so happy. And he said, that that made my day, the reaction I got from Cole Perfetti, because they've, they've become very close, those two players. Mark Scheifele's been a role model for Cole Perfetti. So th- those types of things, buddy, that, that's, that, that, that started the season off right in the right way ahead with a, a year where there's so many questions. How are they going to fit in? Is this a playoff team? What's this going to look like? Um, how's the loss of Dubois and Wheeler going to go, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's closed a lot of doors on questions that would have probably been annoying about the 20-game mark because it's, you know, everybody here in Winnipeg knows the answers, but every time they go to a new city, every time they go to Toronto, every time they go to Montreal, the rumors are going to start. Because I remember last year when we when the Jets rolled into Montreal, there Pierre-Luc Dubois was like mm-hmm. surrounded by, you've been to Montreal, hundreds of reporters, and it was a distraction. And that was just one time, right? So it's just, that would have been everywhere. for. And then where's Mark Scheifele? We are hearing rumors of going to Boston. That would have been all year long. So I think that's out the window now, and they can just focus on playing hockey. Yeah, anytime you go back to anywhere close to their hometown, yes. uh, that that's yeah. going to come up. And so you mentioned yeah. that this team 
a little bit more depth, uh, you know, mm-hmm. spread out a little bit more. One thing that is the same is Josh Morrissey or Norrissey, as he should be called, yeah. off to another awesome start. And tough crowd uh, for Josh Morrissey right now when he's trying to win the Norris. When you have, yeah. you know, Kale McCarr, you have Adam Fox, you have Eric Carlson last year. He finished fifth in the Norris voting last year and had such yeah. a good season. Like, what must happen for Josh Morrissey to win the Norris? I, I have a feeling Kale McCarr might go on a Nick Lidstrom-type run, and this is going to be kind of like Jets 1.0, where Dale Howarchuk was one of the best players in the game, but had Lemieux and Gretzky to deal with the whole time. So this yeah. is a tough award for Josh Morrissey to win, even though he definitely has the credentials for it. Yeah, he totally does. And I think, you know, the, the big question was, could he do it again? Right. So we had heard, so you go back to Paul Maurice and I remember the year they went to the the conference final and Paul Maurice continuously said to the new media that would come in, you know, another series, you start with Minnesota, then you go to the next series, it's Nashville and it's Vegas, you know, each round of of, of playoffs was a level that Josh Morrissey hasn't got to yet because Josh Morrissey wasn't on the number one power play. He was in charge of playing with Jacob Truba and going up against the other team's best. Well, now Josh Morrissey's with Dylan DeMello. And he's, again, in charge of going up the other team's best. And that's what Scott O'Neill talked about yesterday is that there's conversation this summer. What do you have to do to get to another level? Well, you have to defend as well as put up the points, right? And all due respect to Eric Carlson, who had a season for the ages over 100 points as a defenseman is nothing to shake a stick at. But you still have to play the game at the position that you play, and that is going up against the other team's best. And, you know, Josh Morris is going to see a lot of the, the Connor McDavid's, the Leon Dreisaitl's, you know, tonight Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo against St. Louis. Um, that's going to be his job in night in and night out and keeping the numbers up. So I, I think the all-around game and maintaining it through the entire schedule, right? I think all the attention he received last year, which was well-deserved, I think it got to him a little bit, right? There's a little more awareness. There's a little more responsibilities with media, you're, you're talking to every visiting media member because you're in that Norris Trophy conversation. So, and I, I'm, I'm not saying he was complaining about it. I'm not saying it affected his game, but it's just a lot. And then you go to your first all-star game. So your schedule is a little bit more hectic than it has been in years past. Now he knows what to expect. Now he knows where, he, and he's challenging himself to get into that top three conversation because Rick Bonus said last year, we want you to be a top 10 defenseman. Well, Morris, you got into the top five. So now he knows where he can go and clearly confident enough in his abilities to do that. And uh, I think Edmonton Oilers fans saw just how good Josh Morrissey could be on Saturday night because he played 27 minutes and he <laughs> was up against the likes of Connor McDavid, you know, and, and Leon Dreisaitl all night long. So it's um, it's going to take a, a continuous pace of that. I don't know. You know, Kale McCarr is clearly, uh, you know, able and has the ability to score 100 points. So I don't know if Josh Morrissey has to get to 100 points, but that's the level that you're at or have to get to, unfortunately, um, if you want to get to, to, to be a Norris Trophy winner. So it's there's a, there's a lot of great players out there, but the fact that he wants to get better says everything you know, uh, you need to know about Josh Morrissey. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, this is a guy that it's just circumstantial that he, he's up against a, a guy like yeah. Carr and things like that. I hope Morrissey gets one because he certainly deserves it. And you mentioned against Connor McDavid the other night. Great job. Big Jets victory. Uh, it mm-hmm. comes at a cost for the NHL, and that's McDavid is out. That's bad news, yes. whether you're an opponent yeah. of McDavid or you're a fan of McDavid, because there's national broadcast. There's the Heritage Classic. Of uh, course. 
they need him in the lineup. The NHL needs McDavid in the lineup. This is this is a really unfortunate turn of events, not just for the Oilers, for the entire league. Yeah, of course. And you like, especially if they go on the road, it, it, there is that. There's a we get this all the time. Look at look at load management in the NBA. You you're a kid. You want to you're going to watch LeBron James when the Lakers come to town, and then the guy's hurt, and you're disappointed. That's what happens when the Oilers come to town. And it is awesome to watch Leon Dreisaitl, but the best player in the game is not is going to miss a couple of weeks. It, it is 100% disappointing, especially missing the outdoor game because we all know how fantastic those are and what a great event it is. Yeah, it's it, it it's amazing that he has been able to stay as healthy as he is with the attention that he gets and the mm. abuse that he takes night in and night out. So uh, while unfortunate, I you know clearly the Oilers want him in the lineup later in the season when when it when the games really start to matter, but uh, it is an unfortunate break for the Edmonton and the National Hockey League, especially with the Heritage Classic coming up. Yeah, like I remember when Mary Lemieux came back from uh, yeah. his beating cancer in his retirement, he played sparingly because he was recovery. That's different. Uh, you know, load management yes. in the NBA, you go to a game, you don't see your star, it, it's terrible. And, and Especially when they're sitting around the bench. That's like, that's the worst part. Yeah, so it, it is. Yeah. You're watching them in street clothes. And, and and having their stars in the game is one way the NHL will will catch up to the, to the yeah. other big three or prevent the MLS from passing them. I mean, yeah. the MLS is shooting up especially with Messi there and and everything so that's a big challenge for the NHL I think they should have ISO channels I would watch a McDavid ISO yeah. channel like they did with Lemieux when he came back on on Sportsnet that one time how do you think mm-hmm. the NHL maybe catches up to the NBA if they can or or just stays ahead of the MLS what does the NHL need to do do you think well I I, I think you know like we we all have to realize what the NHL is like NHL is we love the sport and we understand what it is. I agree with you. Um, you do like the ISO cam is a fantastic idea. I heard um, Mark Cuban on the Dan Patrick podcast one time talking about, he felt with major league baseball and I'm sorry, I'm going all over the place here, but he felt in major league baseball, they could capitalize on the TikTok market. Whenever somebody was throwing a no hitter, you go live on TikTok. that game, you go to that player or this guy mm-hmm. is about to hit for the cycle. Bam, live on TikTok. Like those types of things can happen. And maybe possibly the NHL could capitalize on that on, on that as well. Right. And and we all understand the game has to market the players a lot better. And but there has to be buy-in from A the players and B the league has to do the same thing. So I uh, understand like they, they are great players but we have to understand their personalities. And I think that's where each team is starting to work a little bit harder than I think the league is, but the, the, the people that don't understand hockey or don't watch it for a certain reason have to understand which players are great and why they are great. And I think I agree with you with the ISO cam and so much going up with the MLS buddy. Soccer is bigger than we can even imagine anywhere. And the, what the MLS has done is become it's genius. Um, but there are more soccer fans in America, probably than we would even think hockey fans, right? So it's just like with Messi, you can't, you cannot compete with that. There's not a player that can compete worldwide the way Lionel Messi does in any place, and especially in America where they can promote the heck out of it. So um, it's, it's to me, it's all about getting people to understand just how good these guys are and why they're good and what makes them great is, is, is one of the biggest challenges facing the National Hockey League. So I think you're more concerned about growing your game rather than, oh, here comes the MLS or, oh, we got to get to the NBA. It's just focusing on what you have. And I appreciate what they're doing with the staggering of the starts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
on Tuesday with all 16 games, but man, you could have done that opening weekend, yes. like on a Saturday. Uh, Tuesday, uh, I've gone over this today, like 7.45 is not an ideal start on a oh. Tuesday night where people have to go to work tomorrow or people have kids like that. You're removing a big chunk of fans from that opportunity. Like it's, it looks great to people that are watching games across the league, but it's not great for the fans here in Winnipeg where they have to come to the game at 7.45 and then you're home by midnight. It just it, it does not work on an October October and Tuesday. Do it on a Saturday yeah. uh, uh, to kick off the season maybe, and I think you have, you, you're have you on to something. Every Saturday should be a staggered start. I mean, yeah, like, I, the, like, the NFL and, and some others, baseball and things like that, they, they get yeah. it right with the staggered start, so you Saturday give your fans your an opportunity. Yeah, Saturday is is hockey day, right? And I know college football is huge in the United States, um, and you're kind of going up against that, but not in this situation. Saturday mm-hmm. is what when you think of hockey, especially in our country, it's Saturday. So I think the staggered start probably would have worked a lot more efficiently on a, uh, uh, to start the year. Yeah, going into tonight, seventeen players uh, had a pace of uh, one point five points yeah. per game or better. Uh, that's we know that's going to thin out. But are, are yeah. we honestly seeing the most offensive NHL era since the the, the late uh, the early nineties from the eighties? Yeah, I, I think so. And, and you probably the, when you were doing your prospect show, right? You 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 understood the guys that were coming up. But now that kind of I've shifted my focus to that part of the game too. When you watch these kids, man, like Macklin Celebrini, I was watching the highlights oh. of him the other night. Like, there's, they're doing things you don't see, and it, and it just seems like every year there's somebody. And I'm not saying there's a Connor Bedard coming every year, but there's somebody of interest of of that excitement that gets you out of your seat. I feel like there's somebody like that every year coming in the draft. Now, whether that all translates to the National Hockey League, I don't mm-hmm. know. But the game, when you watch it, and I challenge, I I ask anybody that goes, okay, I could do this, I could slow it down. You can't because you just watch the game at ice level and there's a guy coming at you six foot four, two, 210, and he's coming at you full speed. You can't hold people up the blue line. It's not the game that it was in the 90s. You can't stand – my dad used to yell all the time, stand them up. I'm like, you can't, dad. Nope. They'll literally bowl you over. Like they just – and there's and they you can't be still nowadays because the game that's played – it's amazing what they do in such tight spaces – it's the game is the best it's ever been. And I, uh, I grew up in the same era as you. Mm-hmm. I love the, uh, well, I hated it, but the Gretzky era was, um, you know, that, that team and those players and Mario Lemieux and Dale Howarchuk, they were fantastic players, but they are not even close to what's coming out year over yeah. year um, with the talent level that these kids have, because the, the focus is on hockey. They train all year on hockey they're so good at such a young age and they understand what the game is and what to expect. And there's so many people training you now and there's, you know, there's diets for this and diets for that. There's just no way that you could, you know, the Mary Lemuse who's smoking a cigarette between periods to keep up with the play of the game, that you can't do that now. And don't you remember the guys would come to camp to get in shape. And my favorite thing always, and I tell this story all the time, when I went to Okanagan hockey school, you got the old pamphlet that says, you don't come to Okanagan hockey school to get in shape. You get in shape to come to Okanagan hockey school. That's the <laughs> national hockey. You have to be in shape before training camp even starts. Yeah. Al IF eighty having a dart uh, in between yep. game periods. Just, yep. just doesn't happen anymore. And Playing guilty it, doesn't happen anymore, buddy. No. And, and you're like, listen, we did a challenge cup event this past weekend, 10 and 11 year olds. We do, I do JPHL U14, U15, U17, U18. The skills on the kids today are incredible. There's no way I could play as a kid today. I would get lit up 
every day because they're not afraid and and the skills out there and the determination and the the yeah. the, the drill they can go in and there's a story uh john calvano on this show told a story about Connor bernard getting and doing a drill one time and all the nhlers were like what the heck's going on how does he know how to do this because there's no fear and and there's the skill is so much now the one thing that is happening a lot in the nhl seven teams have power plays 24% or better last year. 24% for seven teams. The Oilers were over 32%. The Devils are off the charts right now. Is there a point where too many power plays happen? Are we there yet? And do you care or or, or do you want more flow? Because I know the players, it the, the amount of power plays takes guys out of the game. So we want offense, power plays give offense, but at some point yeah. you don't want an entire special teams game. So there's got to be a happy medium. Is the NHL figuring that out, do you think? It always comes around. Like the, the, the officials are trying to figure out, uh, you know, they call tons of penalties early part of the year. The players expect that. But you, let's go back to what the Jets are. The Jets are a four-line team. You start rolling power play after power play. Now you're taking out Rasmus Kapari. Now you're taking out, you know, uh, Morgan Barron, although he kills penalties. So it's just it just takes everything out of the flow. And the game is better when it's played at five-on-five five for extended periods. Yes, you want your power plays, and the power plays are fun to watch. But that's how you wear down your team, like your star players. That's what happens. And you wear down your penalty killers. Then they're less effective in the third period if you're holding on to the lead. So I'm all for penalties, and they should be – when there's a penalty, it should be called. But the amount that they're getting right now is, is – as it always is in October, is just too much. And it's not a pace that you can keep up. The players will start to understand what penalties will be called and what they won't, what, what referees call this and what they'll call that. They all adapt. It gets better as the season goes along, but uh, for now, the power plays nowadays are getting to be too. And like Rick Bonus even said, we have to get our power play over twenty if we want to make the po- the the, the uh, power the playoffs this year. Can't get that out. Um, so the important part is is balance it out, figure this all out, and then sit back and enjoy the ride because it's a five v five game. That's what makes it so great, and um, hopefully that 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 uh, changes sooner rather than later. Great stuff as usual, my man. Happy belated birthday. Your double pack uh, DVD of Jennifer Lopez Jiggly and Johnny Depp Cry Baby is on the way because I know those are your two favorite movies and what we would give each other all the time on our birthdays when we were roommates. And uh, all the best to the Bonus family and everybody in Winnipeg. And thanks for joining me today on the show. My pleasure, my friend. Uh, Happy early birthday greetings to you. I always appreciate chatting with my good friend and former roommate, Jamie Thomas. And I want to tell you that Silent Ice TV is home to the JPHL, the HSL, and special events like the Winter Championship, the Challenge Cup, and more, including the Capital Junior B Hockey League, Morinville Jets, and, of course, Game Changers. You can watch live games, catch up on what you missed, plus past episodes of this show and more great content produced by For Vengeance Media. All right, that is just about going to wrap things up for us. Uh, I would like to thank our guest list for today, Jamie Thomas of Jets TV, Ryan DeCook from the Spruce Grove Saints, and John Calvano. Vancouver Flyers head coach. Thank you so much for joining me on the program. Ray Farrar was supposed to be on this show. We had a scheduling mix-up. He will join us next week. Can't wait to talk to the former Brandon Wheat King at ESPN 
analyst. That is it. My name is Dean Millard. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I will see you at the rink. And remember, it's always a good time to double pad stack. See you later.